Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together, for your word, for the great sharing from Kenny and Elaine, and just hearing what you're doing around our world, Lord, and how we can support that, Lord. I thank you for the chance to be together as your people, to receive from your word, and to be blessed in your spirit. Touch us and anoint us in this time, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, we are starting a new series. It is a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And over the next few months, we're going to be going through the Gospel of Matthew. And I want all of us to to think as we walk through this Gospel, I want us, each of us, to think of us as disciples, as followers of Jesus, and to see what can we learn from Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, maybe, as he says, come, follow me, maybe you will start following him. If you know Jesus a little bit, maybe you'll follow him a little bit more. If you know him very deeply, maybe you'll say, how can I completely give myself over to Jesus as a disciple? As we come to Matthew chapter 1, if you've ever read Matthew 1 in the first part of 1, you know that it's the genealogy, right? It's the only genealogy in the New Testament. And I, and I sat down on Monday morning and I looked at this and I said, what did I do to myself? How am I going to write a sermon on all of these names. Now, you notice we didn't do that as a scripture reading. I didn't want to do that to Roger. If you look at all those names, there's some really challenging names there, and I, I didn't want to have that be our scripture this morning. So the Abraham passage very much fits into the sermon. But then I thought more. I said, you know, we all have a genealogy. We all have a generations, right? We all have a connection mother to to child, child to to their child, and so forth. And I thought, you know, it is very relevant. We can relate to this. And even more, as we will see, there is a deep connection, a deep connection to this passage for us. And so we're going to see that this morning. Um, The word genealogy means a line of descent traced continuously from an ancestor. This last Christmas, uh, Tiffany asked uh, for... Ancestry.com as a presence. You know, you have to pay a fee to this to this uh, company, and she sent in her saliva as her DNA, and and they send you back test results. And the test results came. Well, the the, the site says that this process helps exploring your DNA matches, connecting to more precise regions, and gaining insights into your personal traits. Tiffany had this deep desire to want to know more about our family. And when we got the results back, we found out that we were 79% from England, Wales, and Northwestern Europe, and 11% from Ireland and Scotland, and 6% from Germanic descent. Interesting. That was interesting. As we get to the genealogy of Jesus Christ... We are going to see a wonderful record of his ancestry. We're going to see why it is important enough to put it into Scripture. Right? It's not just a bunch of names. We're going to connect the dots to what happened in the Old Testament and how this relates to our current times. We're going to see how Matthew does a masterful job of connecting the Old Testament and Jesus together and shows how The overriding theme is Jesus as Messiah. So, we ask the question, why is this important? Why is this genealogy important, and how is it relevant to us? We'll see first that it helps us 
to understand where our story started, right? So often we think, my story starts with me, right? The, the universe revolves around me. It's all about me, right? Well, that's not true. Our story started long before you and me, and we're going to see that in this. We're also going to see how we are connected um, with those who have gone before us. It helps us to know how we are part of a larger story that started long before we came upon the scene. As Abraham is the start of Jesus' lineage, we see the Apostle Paul say something very important to us in Romans 4. And when you see, whenever you see yellow, please read with me. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, the promise comes by faith. That's an important word. The promise comes by faith. So that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those of the law, which is talking about those in the Old Testament, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. He is the father of us all. There is a spiritual connection with us and Abraham because of Jesus. Second, we are connected. We see we are connected to God's people from the Old Testament times, right? There is a connection. A lot of people say, well, the Old Testament is old, right? So let's kind of put it aside. The Old Testament doesn't have as much relevance today as it once did. No, we are connected, and we're going to see how we are connected to people of Old Testament times through Jesus Christ as God's heritage and part of God's plan. And third, we're going to see that Matthew is the only gospel writer to begin with an account of Christ's parentage and ancestry. And this is really important, that he descended in a manner into this world where he, as the promised Messiah, came to us just as it was foretold, the son of David, the, son, the, the family of Abraham, born of a virgin, and this genealogy clearly shows this truth about his pedigree from Abraham for 42 generations until when he came. And it is the narrative of Christ's birth. As the Old Testament, you know, right, starts with the book of Genesis, right? It is the book of beginnings, right? The generations of the world. And then there's this long section, a few chapters into Genesis, that show this amazing you probably skipped over it many times, right? I kind of thought about doing that on Monday when I looked at this passage. I said, why don't I just skip over all these names, right? These are too many names, right? A lot of times you, you get to the genealogy like, oh, I don't know all these names. I'll skip over them, and then you go to the next chapter. Well, we, we don't need to do that. We don't want to do this because there is importance with the generations, with this genealogy and our connection to them that goes all the way to leading us to Jesus Christ. The glory of the New Testament excels and it begins with a book of generations in this gen genealogy. Generations of Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity come into the world. As God, he was everlasting, but as man, he was sent forth in the full fullness of time, born of a woman, and come into this world with a purpose that was declared long ago. I know that genealogies can be boring, right? Name after name, many of the names you know nothing about. And so you're like, oh no, this sermon is going to be so boring, right? We're just going to talk about, he's just going to read all these names and we're going to get lost in all these names. No, I'm going to connect all the dots for you. 
We're going to see the pedigree that is given evidence to prove a title and to make a claim. The design here is to prove that our Lord Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and therefore, out of those nations comes this Messiah just as it was promised by God long ago. Matthew 1.1 starts out, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. As I said before, Abraham is the father of us all. That is why God can make the promise that he made in Genesis 15, verse 5, where he said to Abraham, he took Abraham outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Go ahead, count the stars while I talk. <laughs> then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What a statement God made to Abraham. Look at the stars, count them if you can, so shall your offspring. How could he make that promise to Abraham? How could one man have so many offspring that it would be greater or as great as the number of the stars in the sky? And it's because all of the Israelites who followed God and all of those who have come to be Christ followers and will come to be Christ followers are part of the lineage of Abraham. I want you to get this truth. This is foundational in Scripture, that we are all part of the lineage of Abraham. Then it goes on to verses 2 to 6. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. And we see here how the, the covenant was originally given to Abraham, right? But then it was passed on to Jacob, and then, or to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then to Judah, and then to Perez and Hezron and Ram and Aminadab and Nashon and Salmon and Boaz. And on it went. The covenant was passed. And then we are told an important little note here that Boaz's mother was Rahab. Now, what is interesting about Rahab? Rahab, it really, she is interesting. Whenever she is mentioned in the Bible, she is usually mentioned with this phrase, Rahab the harlot. How would you like that to have your title, right? Everywhere go, Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot, right? I mean, that's like a mark on you, right? Rahab the harlot. But it's important to note, not only was she a harlot, but she was also a Canaanite, the enemies of the Israelites, right? So she had two marks against her, right? But we're told in the scriptures that she was used by God to protect the spies by hiding them, and then helping them to escape. And we're also told in the scriptures that she is a woman, she became a woman of faith. And she not only played an important part in helping the Israelites and God's people at that time, but because she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, she was important for all people of all times. This genealogy, and Rahab in particular, is in the Bible to let us know that God loves us all, despite our background. Jesus called himself to be the friend of sinners. And he said he didn't come to call the righteous, or those who think they're righteous, because we know no one's righteous, but he came to call sinners, those who admit, I have sinned in my life. Those is who, that is who Jesus came to call to repentance. As we read in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The same grace that was given to Rahab 
is given to you and to me. We too have that grace of God when we fail, when we stumble, when we fall. We can learn from Rahab that, that God is a God of grace and forgiveness and that he uses all people despite our backgrounds and despite our misgivings. Well, from Boaz, it goes to Ruth and Obed and Jesse, and, and then we finish in, in this first section in verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David. Ah, name we know, right? King David, I know that name. Well, because I, we know that name so well, I'm not going to go into detail in King David, but it gives us to that first part of that genealogy, right? Abraham to David. See, it's important to note that the Jews were very careful in preserving their pedigree. When Jesus came, if the Jews were going to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, it had to be clear that his descent was just as the scriptures had told, just as it had foretold, just as God had promised, just as is written down in the prophecies, that this prophecy would come to be. And if it needed to come to be, then Jesus had to be in the line of David, in the line of Abraham. We see also that in calling Christ the son of David and the son of Abraham, Matthew shows that God is faithful to his promises and will make good on every promise that he declares in Scripture, every word he has spoken. When God promised Abraham a son, he said that his son would be a great blessing to the world. But God was not only speaking about Isaac, God was speaking about Jesus Christ who would come in the line of Abraham. You see that connection? Do you see that connection? Another important note here is that there were four women mentioned in this genealogy. Rahab, Ruth, Tamar, and Bathsheba. And actually, in, in most uh, uh, versions, you look at it like, where's Bathsheba? It actually says the wife of Uriah. So it doesn't actually give Bathsheba's name, but of course we know that the wife of Uriah was Bathsheba. Rahab and Ruth were foreigners. They were not of Israel. This shows that God did not think of just the Israelites alone as his people, right? As the Apostle Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? God shows that he was going to open up salvation. He's opening up the kingdom of God, the family of God, to all who would believe in Jesus Christ, to the citizenship of saints. And two of them were adulteresses, yet they are part of the genealogy of Jesus, showing us again that Jesus came to save all sinners. He took upon him the likeness of sinful flesh and gives us forgiveness of sins and salvation. Understand well, we are all sinners. We need this truth. We need to understand this. People we deal with in the world need to understand that God is a God of grace, that God is a God of love, that God came to save them from their sinfulness, to bring them out of that into his kingdom, into his wonderful light, into the, the promise and the plan he has for their lives. This is something that can be preached, shared, taught. Right? I mean, that's, that's what we preach, even in the mission field. That's what's so important. This is a picture of J.C. Penney. I don't know if you know too much about J.C. Penney. At an early age, uh, he, he was really um, taken by the faith of his parents in Jesus Christ. 
But it wasn't until later in his life that he really gave himself over to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, he had this drive to be a success. He had this drive to to make money. His first goal was to make $100,000. But in his own words, he says, you know, when I got to $100,000, the satisfaction didn't last very long because I wanted more. And so he set his next goal to be a million dollars. He wanted to be worth a million dollars. And so he and his wife, they worked hard. They worked tirelessly to build the business. But at one point, his wife got pneumonia. And soon after that, she died. And he realized that success and making money was not really satisfactory in life. It didn't fulfill him in life. He realized that there was something deeper, and he began to give himself over to the Lord. And he allowed the Lord to begin to work on this this desire for success, this desire to make money that he had. And he he gave himself over to this self-righteous nature that he had. He said, God, fix me, help me, change me, transform me. And when he gave his testimony, he would say things like this, when I was brought to humility and the knowledge of dependence on God, sincerely and earnestly seeking God's aid, it was forthcoming in a light illumined my being. Then he says, I cannot otherwise describe it than to say that he changed me as a man. What a transformation J.C. Penney had when he fully gave himself over to be a Christ follower. Well, as the genealogy continues, we see next in line is Solomon, who we know becomes king. And we know that he excelled over all kings as in riches and in wisdom and in power. The whole world began to want to come to to Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had given him. Along with giving him wisdom, God said, do not marry any foreign women. But Solomon didn't listen to God. He didn't listen to God. And in the end, we are told in the scriptures, you'll be surprised by this if you don't already know it, that in the end, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, man, I want to say to you for a moment, how many of you want 700 wives? How many of you have enough trouble with one wife? 700 wives, 300 concubines. And, and he began to turn away from the Lord. And we read in 1 Kings 11.4, again, read the yellow with me. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Solomon, in the end of his life, turned away from God, and his heart was not fully devoted to God. J.C. Penney, right? He turned his heart toward God. From these two stories, we understand that having money and possessions and these great relationships in the world, that the world is not going to satisfy us. The world is not going to sustain us. The world is not going to bring us salvation. See, this genealogy is not just a bunch of names, reading name after name. It is understanding the stories behind the names. You have a story. I have a story behind our name. I pray that our story is one that we can share with others who are lost, 
or struggling or hurting or lonely or depressed or overwhelmed, that we can say, I have a story of how God has worked in my life. God has transformed me. God has blessed me. Let me tell you that story. Because I know that God can transform you and change you and bless you. That is the story. There's a Savior that can help us, and his name is Jesus Christ. We're thankful that the story doesn't end at Solomon, continues to Rehoboam and Abijah and Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. And then we stop for a moment at Hezekiah because we have a great testimony in the scriptures about Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of the handful of good kings that existed, one of the few that actually followed God. The, the book of Kings speaks of Hezekiah in superlative terms. And we read in uh, 2 Kings 18, verses 3 and 5, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Remember Solomon? It said he didn't like his father David had done. And here we have Hezekiah as his father. Now, of course, David wasn't his direct father, but he was in that line, in that genealogy. See, again, that connection to the, the genealogy. The names all go together. Abraham to David and so forth. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord just as his father David had done. Well, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, who had Ammon, and then who had Josiah. And then we read in Matthew 1.11, And Josiah, the father of Jochiana, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Whew, so now we've gotten to Abraham. We've gotten to David. Now we've gotten all the way up to the, uh, the exile of Babylon, right? Of course we know that the people turned away from God. And so God said, fine, I'll give you over to enemies. And Babylon came and took them to Babylon. And they were lost in, in, in Babylon for, for many years. Their struggle where they didn't have faith. They didn't have faithfulness to God. But they will cry out to God for help. And God will raise up for them uh, leaders like uh, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. And leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah. And these people will help save God's people and turn their attention and their faith back to God and the hope that they have in the coming Messiah. See, a lot of people ask me, well, the people of Old Testament, they didn't have Jesus, so how are they saved? And I say, just like we look back to Jesus, the people in the Old Testament, they looked forward to Jesus, right? They looked forward to the coming Messiah. So they put their faith in the coming Messiah and were saved. And we put our faith in the Messiah who has come. And we are saved. And we're connected through Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is to have these stories of Abraham, in the line of Abraham and David and ultimately to Jesus Christ. How important it is to let this genealogy become a deeper part of our faith and our understanding as Christ followers. To understand that there's more to all of this than just our time now, our struggle now, our world now. To learn from the struggles of the people in the past. To, to learn how they were faithful in difficult times or not faithful in difficult times. And how we should learn from that as we see the results of, of unfaithfulness or we see the results of being faithful to God. And we say, I want to be faithful to God as God's people before me were faithful especially in these difficult and trying times where it doesn't seem like many are really following Jesus like they should. 
Many of you know that not only do we, I take trips to Mexico with our church, but I also go on solo trips as I go and I prepare and I plan and I get things ready. Well, one of these trips, I was going to Mexico, and, and if you've gone with me, you know that when you go to the border, you have to go far right, and then you go onto the one freeway. And then you go over this hill, and as you come down this hill, it splits to the one and the two. And, but the one and the two are right together, and for some reason, this one particular time, I got confused, and I went straight instead of right. And as soon as I went straight, I knew I was wrong. I was on the two, not the one. Now, for, that might not sound like a big deal. And at first, I thought it was not a big deal. I thought, oh, I'll just go up, and where there's an opening, I'll just make a U-turn, I'll go back, and I'll hop on the one, right? In Mexico, there's no place to make a U-turn. <laughs> so I'm driving along, and the farther I'm driving, I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't know where I'm going. What am I gonna? So I pull over in a gas station, and that didn't help much because he didn't speak English, right? So I'm trying to communicate him, with him, and I'm trying to understand him. And finally, he just says, keep going straight. So I'm like, okay, I don't have any choice anyway, right? So I get in my car, and I'm driving straight. And again, the longer I'm driving, the farther. Have you ever done that? You know, usually when you're lost, you drive faster, right? I don't know why. You just get lost faster, right? But somehow, I don't know, women, if you do that, but I know, man, we just drive faster, right? I'm going to get there faster, right? But you just get lost faster. So I'm driving along, I'm driving faster, I'm getting more and more nervous, more and more concerned, I don't know where I am. Finally, I end up in Rosarito. And I get through Rosarito, and at the end of Rosarito, there's the one. <laughs> oh, thank you. You, know, you can imagine how much I was praying during that time, right? I was praying like I haven't prayed in a long time, right? Isn't that what happens? You get into struggles, you get into challenges, hopefully that leads you to deeper prayer, and as I was reflecting on that this week, I was thinking, you know, that must have been how the, the Israelites felt when they were in exile, right? They were lost. They were concerned. They were disoriented. They were feeling a, a loss of hope. And they prayed more. And they said, we have gone astray, Lord. We need to turn back to you, and we need to come back to you. And they did. And, and God raised up those leaders that I said and, and saved them and, and gave them the hope and gave them the direction they needed. The genealogy f- finishes in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. We'll see in the book of Matthew the story of the Messiah who came to save his people from their sins. We will see in the book of Matthew that Jesus is indeed the king, the long-awaited Messiah. He reflected in his opening line, Matthew did, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That's how the genealogy starts. The son of David, the son of Abraham. From there, Matthew consistently will take us back to the Old Testament, providing Old Testament testimony regarding the birth of Jesus, Bethlehem as Jesus' place of birth, the flight to Egypt, Herod's slaughter of the infants, and the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In a world where many in the Jewish community at that time had risen up and many people were claiming themselves to be the Messiah, there are all these false messiahs claiming to be the Messiah. In the midst of all of this, Jesus comes about and he has his Old Testament 
testimony to show that he is not a false messiah, but that he is indeed the one God has promised. Matthew paints a portrait of our Lord that highlights his uniqueness as no other who had walked this earth. We can clearly see, because of Matthew, who Jesus is, and he sets the stage for us for what will come in the rest of the gospel, that we can know God's will and we can follow God's will. We can see that Jesus Christ is the anointed one, fulfilling the promises of God as the one come from Abraham to David and to Joseph. Christ comes to shine forth the glory of God for the people of Israel and for all who would believe. Let me close with this story. It's a story of a, a girl who's in the hospital, and she's going to die unless she gets this blood transfusion that will save her life. And they're not able to find this, this blood that she needs. And then they discover that her younger brother has that type of blood. He's young, but he's old enough to give a transfusion. And so the doctor asks if he was willing to give a transfusion of his blood to save his sister's life. And he immediately agrees to do it. And so they set him up, and they they transfuse the blood. And then when the transfusion's done, he looks over at the doctor, this young little boy, and he says to the doctor, how long will it take for me to die? And at that moment, the doctor realizes that the son misunderstood what was going on. He thought that by giving his blood to his sister, it would cost him his life. And he was willing to do it. I tell you today, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, that was willing to give his life for us. And the shedding of his blood, the giving of his blood did cost him his life. But it gave us salvation. And so the genealogy sets up for us these great themes. That Jesus came in the flesh, in the line of sinners, to die for us so that we might live so that we can live a life that bears fruit for the kingdom of God. Not to live a mundane life, but to live a prosperous, righteous, glorifying God kind of life. A joyful life that rejoices even in the midst of our struggles because God gets us through them. In fact, I was talking with Kenny and Lelaine, and we, we, we got to that place in our conversation where isn't God even greater in our struggles in our weaknesses. And I'm sure they have a lot of struggles in Turkey. And it's so great to hear Lelaine's testimony about her reluctance to share her story, to share her faith. But God prompted her, prodded her, pushed her to do it by giving her Romans 1.16. And isn't that what we need? I want to tell you that there are many out in the world who are not part of this genealogy like we are. They are not a part of the family of God. They are lost. They are in exile. But you and I can share our story with them so that they can indeed become the part of the family of God. So I'm excited for us to go through the Gospel of Matthew, to be Christ followers, to to walk alongside the Scriptures as people who Jesus says, come follow me, and we say, yes, Jesus. And we walk with him as we go through this this gospel over the next several months, and we learn from Jesus. Let us pray.